And actually, you, cause you mentioned, um, sucking and you know, we've, so when he was really niggly, we were using a dummy, uh, at night for nappy changes just because mm. it kept him a bit settled he didn't work himself up and we wanted to clean uh, change his nappy before I fed him because he was often dirty mm. um and then we read you shouldn't give them a dummy before four weeks because that's when breastfeeding is established and before mm. that introducing a dummy could impact breastfeeding this is Cass first time mom to two week old Max and in our conversation today Cass brings up the critical question of the moment are dummies or pacifiers a problem or are they really helpful? We'll talk about fussing and colic, what it is and how to manage it, and then go on to touch on overstimulation and how to prevent it. We'll also spend some time looking at the importance of primary maternal preoccupation and its critical role in the development of the baby's emotional world. So stay tuned for this one as we discover more about the early days through the eyes of Cass and Max. Welcome to Sense by Meg Fora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Fora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back. I'm Meg Fora. I'm delighted to be your host as we journey with new parents through the joys and questions that are part and parcel of the first year of parenting. And this week, I am joined again by Cass. Now, Cass and I chatted last week about um, baby Max. He's just two weeks old, Cass. Yes, two weeks yesterday. I know it's it's funny. It feels like it's flying by, but it also feels like we've never been without him. So it's, <laughs> it's funny how it's sort of very discombobulating of time. Yeah. yeah. And last week we spoke about the fact that he'd actually spent the first week in hospital. So mm. you've now had him home for the first week um, and he's doing really well, isn't he? He's doing really well. He actually he was visited by his health visitor yesterday and he is now weighing 4.56. Um, so he was born at 4.37. So he's he's really putting on the weight. And um, oh. she, she said that she thinks I've got super milk the way <laughs> the way he's piling on the pounds now. So. <laughs> because he was yeah. born a really good weight. What, what is that in pounds? Uh, nine pounds. He was born nine pounds ten. Oh my goodness! And how much weight yeah. did he lose? Uh, he lost. Oh, I only know in kgs. He went down to four point um, two eight. I think. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So he's really uh, regained his birth weight. Mm. That's a whole lot more just in two weeks. Yeah, which apparently, as well, for a bigger baby, is quite something because they've got more to sort of support and and with their weight and that sort of thing. So for them to them to put on so much is uh, slightly terrifying, but but good. <laughs> it's incredible. No, and he's absolutely the most gorgeous boy. So what have been the highlights of the second week of motherhood? 
I mean, of course, for us, just being home, that's been, that's been really special. Um, especially for my husband, he was having to go home, you know, every night to an empty house and, and come into the hospital early in the morning. And all he wanted was to bring his little new family home. Um, so it's been really nice for all three of us. And I remember the, the first night actually getting into bed we've got one of the next to me cribs and just sort of lying there and looking and there was max right next to me and i thought oh my goodness this is all very real now this is all, all that we'd been waiting for and planning for so that's so lovely when you have that moment um and i think you know heightened because of the relief and the time we'd had to wait to, to have that moment um so just being home and it's a much more relaxing environment at home you know than, than being on a ward in the hospital and um that sort of thing so seeing him and he's a very relaxed baby anyway and he was relaxed in the hospital we were very lucky there um but it's it's just lovely to see him at our home environment we've gone through a few lovely walks a true highlight was also we went out for lunch um to a lovely a lovely restaurant here and um i was able to eat mussels for the first time in nine months um uh, but he was he's he's angelic he just lay there asleep in his pram while we had a lovely lunch my husband and i and it was a real treat and it's you want to sort of stop every person and say this is my new baby i don't An incredible pride. Yes, I remember when my firstborn was born, uh, it was around about the time when everybody was emailing still because social media wasn't around. Can you imagine that there was a day when that existed? Um, And so I started emailing all of my friends every day with an update of what James was doing. And it was after about a month that a friend emailed me back and said, listen, we're really not interested. (laughs) You know, I think there is that kind of, in fact, there's a word for it. I don't know if you know, it's called um, primary maternal preoccupation. And um, it was actually a phrase that was um, coined by Donald um, Winnicott, who was a psychologist in America. Um, He was actually a pediatrician, but um, very much involved in, in infant mental health. And he actually spoke about this primary maternal preoccupation as being one of the most critical points in the development of the human being's emotional world. Um, because what Max is experiencing right now is that he is the most beautiful baby in the world, mm-hmm. that he is absolutely precious and that you want to show him off to everybody. And it's, it's that kind of being the center of a human being's world that actually creates the basis for future relationships, which mm-hmm. I think we don't always realize just how important that, that early obsession with our babies is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I said to Alex, since I've had him, I've realized I wasn't so much of a baby person before, you know, I I would politely pay attention to my friends' babies (laughs) and sort of give them a cuddle and ooh and ah, but um, I perhaps wasn't as sort of baby um, obsessed as I thought. And then now that I have mine, I look at people, the waiter came to serve the table and I thought, why are you not coming to look at my bit why are you just taking our order and leaving how can you I don't understand why you don't want to just stare at my baby (laughs) and it's such an important phase and you know as we go through your first year with you I'll I'll share with you as we go along because actually that primary maternal preoccupation well it does a couple of things first of all it's critically important for Max because he believes he's the center of your world Mm. Um, but two things are going to happen one is that at some point he's going to wake up to the fact that he is actually separate from you and that he's not everything that exists in your world. Um, And that happens at around about eight to nine months. And that's why separation anxiety arises. 
So, um, you know, right now he thinks that if he's hungry, you feeling that, um, if he feels like, um, you know, he's, he's scared or sad or, you know, any of these emotions, he feels like you're feeling it too. Um, so they, babies really don't have a concept that they're even separate from you. Um, another word that comes out of psychology is, is the object and the mother is the object. Um, and so we, we talk about babies actually believing that they're part and parcel of the object or at least the object's part and parcel of, of them hmm. and that their every need will be met, which of course is very, very important in the early days. So. Yeah. No, and, and actually that does sort of lead onto a question I have because I know from reading your books and listening to your um, chats and on Instagram and things like that, that obviously you can't spoil a newborn baby at this stage and responding. And, but um, he's been, we've been really lucky over the nights. He's sort of only woken up twice between eight and six, but the last two nights he's been a little bit fussier and I actually am going to take him to see the GP because I think he might have oral thrush on the back of his antibiotics that he was on. Um, but I, it did sort of get me thinking, at what age is it best to start encouraging them to self-soothe? Obviously now I'm very reactive um, to him and you know we're, we're soothing him to sleep and giving him either a feed or he's being rocked or something like that. But I'm not necessarily pushing him to self-soothe himself to sleep. Um, when should that start to sort of be something I should focus a little bit more on? Yeah, so that actually brings up two really great questions. The one is about exactly what's happening for him at the moment and why is he a bit more niggly at night? Mm. Um, and I'd like to talk about that first. And then I'm going to address your question about spoiling babies and what we should be doing. So um, what most people don't realize is that actually the first 10 to 14 days, almost all babies are really, really good. They sleep a lot. They, um, they, they generally a lot calmer. Um, we think that there's actually a physiological reason for that. Um, and that is that in the last, tri- um, la- last trimester, and particularly the last few weeks, the womb is a very, very tight space where babies have a huge amount of pressure on their bodies. And that pressure is something we call proprioception. And particularly in your case, because he was a big baby. So it was tight. <laughs> yeah. right? And there was the whole squeeze down the birth canal. And those two things combined together give babies a lot of what we call proprioception. And proprioception moves along what we call the dorsal column into the brain. And it actually gives very high doses of almost like calming neurotransmitters. And so we have this kind of honeymoon period of 10 to 14 days where babies typically are very settled. And then between day 10 and day 14, babies also typically become actually quite unsettled. Now that happens on a continuum um, from kind of zero to infinity of, of settled to unsettled. And I mean, my gut says with Max that he's sitting on the side of being a more settled baby. Yeah. Um, you will then get other mums whose babies at 10 days old just start screaming and screaming. And so they will have like a good two to three hours in the evening. Usually it's in the evening of real unsettled patches. Um, now, in historically, that kind of got called colic, and this was kind of going back to the mid 1900s mm. or even early 1900s. And colic was um, actually it's, it's a complete misnomer because colic means abdominal discomfort. But when our little ones become this sort of niggly, uncomfortable, when they go through those patches, we look at them and we think, oh, that must be a sore tummy. And so that's why you get moms being advised to change their diet or to win their babies more. Or you know, there's a myriad of things that you get told mm. or that they're hungry or that they're, they've got lactose intolerance. And there's all these things that, particularly if you've got a picky and fussy baby, that words that will be thrown at you. 
But the reality is that this is actually just a patch of neurological immaturity where babies actually become very overstimulated in the late afternoon and then have these colicky patches in the late, late afternoon, early evening. And that happens for, you know, in, in the extreme for about 10% of babies, but for a good 70% of babies, they have a niggly patch at some point in the day and maxes might be happening in the middle of the night. In fact, my third baby, Bizarrely, hers were in the middle of the night, whereas my mm. first two, it was that typical kind of between five and eight in the evening. So that's what colic is, is all about. That's what kind of unsettledness is all about. And it kind of leads on to the next question that you were talking about. And that was how do we respond to that? Um, and in baby sense and in the app, I go into a lot of detail around things like, you know, swaddling and sucking. And there's lots of strategies that we use to help babies soothe. And I'm a big advocate of anything that works, mm. because if you've got an unsettled baby, you want to be able to soothe them. But what I'm not a big advocate of is leaving babies to cry and fuss at this age. And there's good reason for that. And that is that babies have two very specific needs at this age, um, at Max's age. The one is a sensory need, which is what I was just speaking about. They need their sensory world to be calmed down for them. They need a sensory environment to be set up that's um, kind of soothing. So that's that's why we use swaddling. That's why we use dummies when we need them. Um, those things really, um, those sensory soothers have very, very good place in calming babies. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a somebody who's advising people and they say, babies mustn't have dummies and they mustn't be swaddled and they must be left on their own and they mustn't have anything in their cot. And a lot of those, you know, in in isolation of pieces of good advice. But when you, when you're a mum faced with a picky and fussy baby, it's really, really hard because you need some mm. sort of strategy. The other thing that babies need, so the one part they need is the sensory soothers, but the other part they need is human contact and emotional engagement. And, you know, when you leave a baby to cry and fuss at this age, you're just not ticking that box. Um, so from my perspective, babies do need lots of love and cuddles and soothing. And it's what you were talking about, you know, kind of that bopping and that, um, you mm. know, burping and that cuddling and maybe taking a walk in the garden, you know, all of those things, popping them in the pram and going for a walk, all of those things are very important. Leaving a baby to cry it out at this age would be very damaging emotionally and not mm. something that we would want them to do because they need to believe they're the center of the world. Yeah. Um, so that leads on to your other question, which is when do we actually start to teach them to self-soothe? Because I think what's at the back of every mom's mind is, well, if I, if I do this now, am I going to be doing it for the next 10 months? You know, mm. Mm. Um, what we know about infants' brains is they don't really have long-term memory or expectations before about 14 weeks. So I always say to moms, until three months, focus in on the love and the cuddles and the soothing. Um, and then from about 12 weeks onwards, we do start to put in place little strategies to help them learn to self-soothe. But again, it's not unsupported. It's a new stage them, and you've got to support no. them. It's just like you wouldn't give a grade one child a book and tell them to learn to read. You would sit alongside them and, and, you, and that's what self-soothing is about. It's about coming alongside your baby and helping them learn a new strategy. But that's not appropriate at this stage. At no. this stage, it's very much about love and cuddles. Um, you know, I do think that sometimes, particularly first time mums can over respond to their babies. So, um, sometimes I think, you know, he'll be lying next to you in the crib and you'll kind of hear him, I call it effing and butting, like, <laughs> you know, kind of effing mm. and butt, butt. And you kind of think, oh, must I respond? And often first time mums do hyper respond because we think, oh, if I don't get there quickly, then he's going to start crying and then I won't be able to soothe him. Mm. But the reality is actually that he can be left for a little bit. And by that, it's not leaving him to cry it out, as I said. It's just listening to him. And you'll start to learn, actually, that was just a kind of sound he makes in his sleep. Or, oh, wow, that was just the sound he makes before he resettles himself. So it's about letting, listening to him and then mm. about responding as soon as you can, um, you know, determine if this is going to escalate and if he's going to need some help. 
Yeah. And I think actually that was one of the things I was going to mention because there's a confidence piece, I think, that comes, especially that first week when you come home and you're doing it for the first time, you know, without, we had amazing support at the hospital. One of the, one of the benefits of being there for a week is we had a whole team of experts around us on call at all times. (laughs) Um, And then you suddenly get home and it's just the two of you. But the, but I think certainly the first couple of nights, I was definitely over responsive mm. and sort of, oh, he's fussing. Oh, yeah, okay. And you, know, I've, I, you sort of also, there's so many different things that you read and things conflict each other. So sometimes mm. you read, get to them soon because then you can soothe them again quickly with a feed and they'll go back to sleep very quickly. And other things say, you know, don't do that. But, um, the, I think about the third night, I, was just quite frankly, I was just too tired. I couldn't quite get up <laughs> as quickly. And I just was lying in bed while he was making a few sort of, of those, as you say, if, he, if and buts, um, noises. And that suddenly I woke up and it was about an hour or two later mm-hmm. and he was starting to wake up then. And he actually had just been fussing a bit, but he went back to sleep and, mm-hmm. So now we don't respond straight away. Mm-hmm. We leave him and so, and as you say, listen, and I can tell when it's actually going from that sort of, I'm just fussing to, no, I would like you to come and change my nappy now or to mm-hmm. feed me now or, or something like that. And actually by doing that, we've been getting an extra hour or two sleep it's each just, time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, but that's a confidence piece for sure. And it's the same, you know, I had a learning curve on Sunday. We came for lunch, um, and he had woken up and I f- knew really that he should sleep for longer, but, um, his grandpa was, had never held him awake. Um, because he'd been such a subtle baby, he was always asleep mm-hmm. and he was so excited to hold him asleep that he sort of wanted to pick him up. And, and that which happened but then we had a bit of a fussy baby in the evening because he hadn't had enough sleep and it was a real learning curve as a mum to actually have to say no sorry he i'm going to take him for a walk he needs to go back to sleep he hasn't had enough sleep and and understanding our baby we're getting to know max and understand what he needs and and uh gaining that confidence ourselves to mm-hmm. say either no or to leave him and know that he's going to be okay and what to listen mm-hmm. for and, and mm-hmm. things like that so that's been in this first week of having him home that's kind of been a real learning curve for us for sure yeah. well i love that you actually picked that up and that you you could connect the dots between kind of that little bit too much stimulation a little bit too long awake and then there's those niggly patches in the evening it's very classic um, it's interesting because I was with a new mum on Saturday, in fact, and she's, her baby was born two days before Max. And, um, I had arrived. There was a lot of people visiting. There was a dog who was incessantly barking. It was just completely overwhelming. And when the other guests left, she actually said to me, that was just too much for me. Um, it must have been terrible for him. And, you know, I think as new moms, we often don't trust our instincts, but, I used to talk about the kind of the hairs in the back of your neck stand up and you just know that it's all mm. too much. And it's almost like you say, gaining that confidence as a new mom to actually say, um, Max loves you, dad, but it's just not a good time for him. Mm. Or, you know, I, I mean, and, and I think one of the things that is important is with new babies, every time they pass to a new person, they take in those person's smells, the new mm-hmm. voice, you know, everything about that person. And that, that contributes to the sensory overwhelm that then, you know, kind of pushes them to a niggly patch later. And it's being a mom who's able to say, 
Um, I can't wait for him to play lots with you, but at the moment he's little and it really is just five minutes of, of love and cuddles. It'll be enough for him, you know? Yeah. And, um, so yeah, it is, it's all a confidence game and also having the confidence to hear your own gut because I think mm. mums, you know, and you mentioned that, that there's so much conflicting advice because there's so much external advice. We stop actually hearing our own internal voice and, and it's learning that as you go along that that's a big mm. piece of the early days. And actually, because you, you mentioned um, sucking and you know, we've, so when he was really niggly, we were using a dummy uh, at night for nappy changes just because mm. it kept him a bit settled. He didn't work himself up and we wanted to clean, uh, change his nappy before I fed him because he was often dirty. Mm. Um, and then we read, you shouldn't give them a dummy before four weeks because that's when breastfeeding is established. And before mm. that, introducing a dummy could impact breastfeeding. I mean, I would say his breastfeeding is very established, yeah. <laughs> um, the way that he's feeding and putting on mm. weight, but it has made me cautious. So, mm. um, I mean, for example, on the way here today, um, we, he was in the back of the car and he started to cry. He'd woken up, he started to cry and I knew I, I couldn't get to him, but I had a dummy in the changing bag. So I put the new mm. dummy in and he was fine for the car journey. And I thought I'd rather have him mm. with a dummy in his mouth than working himself up mm. into a stew in the back of the car. But what, what would you say about dummies mm. and the four week and established breastfeeding and things? Yeah, it's such a great question. I mean, it's, first of all, it does speak to the conflicting advice we get, which mm. is so frustrating because I know they're very loud advocates that will say absolutely no dummies. And then there's me, I'm in the middle of the road. So I'll explain to you where you shouldn't, shouldn't be using dummies. So first of all, bottles under four weeks of age can cause nipple confusion because what happens there is that you've got a nipple, a teat and milk. And so that means that, you know, if, if milk's coming out of both your, your nipple and out of a teat, then yeah, it, it could, could cause confusion. So I'm more hesitant about introducing mm. bottles um, early. Dummies are a different story. Dummies are used for non-nutritive sucking. There's nothing that comes out of it. There's not a huge amount of confusion that can happen around that. Nothing comes out of it. What I would say, and, and I, and another thing we know about the human mouth is that there are more sensory receptors in the mouth than anywhere else in the body. And babies use the mouth for soothing in utero already. So in utero, Max would have sucked his thumb. Some babies have sucked their arms and been born with love bites on their arms. Mm -hmm. um, twins have sucked each other's hands and, and each other's parts of their body. So, but babies use their mouth and they use it for non-nutritive sucking because when you're sucking, it aids with peristalsis, which helps, um, which is that um, muscular contraction that happens with digestion. So actually, non-nutritive sucking is very important. And we actually use it in neonatal ICUs um, with prem babies because we need for them to develop their sucking reflex. And so we use it already then. So dummies, dummies are not bad. They're really good. And when you have people saying you mustn't use dummies, they're taking one of those tools out of the toolbox for calming babies. So that's why I do advocate dummies. Having said that, they need to be used appropriately. So let's say it's um, two hours, 45, and he usually feeds at about three hourly. And, you know, you just want to stretch him from two hours, 40, 45 to three hours. And then you start offering him a dummy in place of that. And maybe you even put some sort of sweet liquid on the dummy because you want him to suck it. That could cause problems because mm. there you're looking at he's kind of getting a little bit of of kind of not nutrition, but a little bit of, of sugar, which is which is part of what satiates our, our appetite on a dummy just before meal times, that's not a good idea. But certainly using a dummy after meal times for a little bit of peristalsis, um, using it like you did in the car just to make a car ride okay because uh, your other option is to take him out of the car seat, which we don't want to do, you know. So those type of situations are great. And then just not leaving it in his mouth all the time, you know, at this mm. stage. 
And then later on, he'll either take to the dummy or not take to it. And, you know, the dummy then presents, and we'll talk about this as we go through the year, it can present another problem, which is dummy patrol at night, which is where they keep mm. waking up for the dummy. And then, of course, there's a three-year-old where you want to get rid of the dummy. So yeah. there certainly are little questions that come up with dummies. But with babies under 12 weeks of age, I do advocate dummies particularly for picky and fussy babies. And I'm very aware of the fact that right now you might be having a fairly smooth ride of it with Max, but they're definitely going to be mums listening who are, who have very colicky babies. And to remove mm. that tool from their toolbox just makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Thanks very much. Thank yeah. you. Well, as usual, you have brought all the wonderful questions <laughs> all mums would be asking at this age. And it feels to me like we've only been speaking for two minutes, but of course it's been a whole lot longer. No, no. Uh, but Kat, it's really wonderful to always chat and thank you for these these times together. And no, thank you. We'll definitely see you next week and answer some more wonderful questions. Perfect. Thanks so much, Meg. Thanks, Kaz. Cheers. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.